There's, a, there's an incredible difference of how God sees a person and how we sometimes see ourselves in the journey of life. You know, you can look at David. David saw himself as a shepherd boy, but God identified him as a king. It's amazing the difference between the least of the least. Actually, David was a hakatan, and the Hebrew word hakatan is a worthless one. That's why when Samuel came to, da- uh, to Jesse's house to find the next king, David was out in the field doing the most worthless job that was around and looking after the sheep because he was known as a hakatan, a worthless one, and therefore that's, that's why he wasn't brought in with the rest of the family when, Jess, uh, when Samuel came to anoint the new king. And, and David may have grown up thinking, I'm a worthless one. But do you know what? When David was in the field looking after the sheep, he encountered God in worship. And the Bible, you know, you, you just open up the Psalms and you start reading what David began to declare over his life. He began to declare the words of God as he sung the word of God to, to, to his Father in heaven. As he declared those songs from his heart, they became the scriptures in which we now read. And that is so powerful because he could have identified with what his father said. You may, you may identify, but you may have grown up thinking, I am this because my father said that is what I am. You may have grown up in a particular way because your teacher at school said you were particularly... I grew up in school and my teacher said, you're, you're, you're stupid. And I grew up believing I was stupid. I believed, you know, when my brother got an apprenticeship and he went off to college and he did a great job and he got a great, a great apprenticeship job, I struggled in school trying to find my identity. He was out there earning good money and I was at school thinking, I'm stupid, I'm thick. And I grew up with that mentality. You may have grown up with a mentality that you're a failure because you failed so many times at trying to get a particular job going or a particular career going. And every time you've tried something, you failed. When you think of Edison, what was it, a thousand times he tried to do the same experiment but failed, and yet he still created, was it the light bulb? How many, he could have looked at himself and said, well, I'm a failure, I've failed Thousand, a thousand times, yet he still continued because he actually knew on the inside he was a success. Who and what are you identifying with? Are you identifying with the first Adam? Remember, we looked at this last week. The first Adam, Adam and Eve, the first Adam, he, are, he, was, he was a living being. The Bible says he... He was a living being. God breathed the breath of life and he became a living being. And we as a human race became human beings after the first living being, Adam. But there was something unique and special that needed to happen to bring a relationship back with God. Because being, just being a human being or a living being on the earth meant that we were born under or in the same understanding of Adam, who was now separated from God. He didn't have the life of God in him any longer. He was dead in his spirit and separated from God. We, could, we, we as the human race, have lived that way, and the human race around us are living that way, but there needed to become a moment where we, 
where there had to be, God needed to do something to intervene so that we weren't all going to a lost eternity. And Jesus came as the last Adam, and he came as a life-giving spirit. Remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned. They committed high treason in the garden. And at that moment, God separated. They, he, he, he kicked them out of the garden so that they wouldn't take of the tree of, the, of, the, of life. They had taken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they hadn't taken of the tree of life. If they had taken from the tree of life, they would have been forever in their sin, and so would we. But at that moment, God said, get out the garden. I'm going to separate you that you never take from the tree of life. And they left the garden. But they left dead in their, in their sins. They left dead in their innermost being. They, they were separated from God. And man has continued to live separated from God until the moment that Jesus came. The moment that Jesus came, he took our sins upon himself. The wages of sin was death, but the gift of God was eternal life. He took our sin in our place and said, here's my righteousness that I'm giving now to you. It was called the great exchange. That which we couldn't do, he gave us. That which we couldn't pay for, he took on our behalf. That is the wonder of the cross that when Jesus was nailed there, he was nailed there in yours and my place. And then as he gave up his spirit and he died upon the cross and they buried him in the grave, he went into the belly of the earth. The Bible says he went into the belly of the earth. He took back that which was the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he, took, he made the, the enemy, he made a public spectacle of the works of darkness. And he led those who were in Abraham's bosom in the place of Hades. And he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. This is an incredible picture of what Jesus did for us. And that moment, he, he was the firstborn from the dead, which means there was going to be a secondborn and a thirdborn and a fourthborn. And Phil, I don't know how many you are down the line, but oh, you, you, you're, you're maybe, maybe several million down the line. But, and, but each of us down this line have come, become the next born from the dead when we give our lives to Jesus. And then he says he breathed the breath of life. The Spirit of God now comes to live and dwell. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And what are you the moment you give your life to Jesus? I am a new creation created in Christ Jesus. Thank God for the work of the cross, because at that moment, our lives are transformed. That's the wonder of the gospel. It's the wonder, it's good news, that once I was dead in my sin, but I've been made alive again in my walk with Jesus, because my sins have been forgiven. So, we are now, that moment that we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become a life order. Jesus gives us that life-giving spirit on the inside. And things incredibly change. So Colossians, we're going to move on uh, to Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. And it says this. If you have your Bible, feel free to turn to it. That would be great. Colossians 2, verse 6. As you have 
or as you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, now walk in him. The word Lord is Adonai, and Adonai means master. It means the one who who rules and, and leads and guides, who is the head, the one who is above all and in all. So as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. The, the, the journey for us, that moment we say yes to Jesus, the rest of our life is to walk in his ways. To walk in that same manner of life. The key is this, how do we receive Christ Jesus? You don't receive Christ Jesus by living a good life. You know, I've, I've had people over the years come up to me and, 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 and we've been talking and debating Christianity or Christian life, and I'm sharing the gospel with them. And they say, well, I live a really good life. Well, I'm sorry to say, really, you, it's great that you live a really good life. That's nice. You know, we, lo- we need some nice people in the world, but it won't get you to heaven. Because we can't earn our way there. We can't achieve our way there. We have to say Father, I couldn't do it on my own. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me. I accept he died in my place, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. That's the key. You don't get saved because your parents took you to church. You, know, you may be here today, and your parents have taken you to church, and, and, and you feel, well, I'm a Christian. I've got Christian values. I've got Christian ethics. I've got a Christian mindset. I believe the Christian way. I, I, I was sat with someone um, a couple of weeks ago, and they said, I'm a Christian, I just don't believe in Jesus. <laughs> uh, 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 he's fundamental. <laughs> Being a Christ one means that you must believe in Christ Jesus. It, it was an interesting conversation, um, but they just did not get it. But just because your parents took you to church, it won't mean that you're a Christian. Because that you've been christened doesn't make you a Christian. I don't remember being christened, but I was. But it absolutely made no difference to my life. My baptism, I remember. And it was a starting point of a journey that actually took me in the wrong direction because I wasn't probably ready to be baptized. But my journey went in an opposite direction. But baptism should help you recognize your death, your burial, and your resurrection to newness of life. And that's why it's so important that baptism is done in the right manner for a child done with a realization of what they're doing and why they're doing it. As an adult, we should have an understanding of why we want to be baptized. And um, I was looking at the weather. The weather is improving. We're coming, we're coming up to summer. So Stacy and anybody else that would like to be baptized, feel free to let us know. And we will get you baptized in the river. Not the Jordan, but a nice one. <laughs> and a beautiful scenery. So this whole thing about about being born again, about getting saved, is so, so important. And do you know what? There is, there is a man in the Bible that, who, who was Nicodemus, a Pharisee of the Jews, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. And he really he, he, he came to Jesus secretly. 
I believe he came to Jesus secretly on several occasions because of fear of what the, the rest in the synagogue would do. I believe he came to Jesus because he saw and he heard of the miracles. He, he observed what was going on in, the te- in his teachings and was amazed by what he saw. But there was something that was puzzling him about what Jesus was teaching. And in John 3, verse 1, we're going to read a, a chunk of a passage here. Um, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. Come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He saw and heard of many of the miracles. He knew that what he could do as a leader wasn't what Jesus was doing that Jesus was doing far above and beyond. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is how important it is for each and every one of us to examine our heart, to actually know for sure, am I saved? Am I born again? Am I just going through the religious cycle Am I just enjoying the fact that we sing a few songs, I hear a passage, makes me feel good, makes me feel right again? Or are we truly born again? Dad rocks. There we go, let me... It's not not sticky. Dad rocks. Sometimes you just need to remind yourself as a dad. Dad rocks, there you go. So Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you are one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I don't know what was going through Nicodemus's mind. I, can't, I don't know how big Nicodemus... Maybe Nicodemus was short like Zacchaeus. Maybe everyone's got a strange name. Has it? But... I don't know what he was thinking there. Um, Strange one. But Jesus answered, thankfully, verse 5. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, natural birth, and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So this tells me two things. Every single person here on planet Earth, to some degree or another, has been born of water. Now, whether you were a cesarean, you were born of water, okay? So you were born in the natural. That's the first thing. There are no aliens in the room. There are no, no strangers. Well, there are a few strangers, but let's just stick, we'll stay there, all right? I'm going to dig myself in hot water. So. Um, so we're all born of the flesh. Every single person on planet Earth was born of the flesh, Jesus, in the same manner, is saying, unless you're born of flesh and of the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I believe the same same opportunity that was given to every single person on the planet Earth to be born of water in the natural, that same opportunity is given to every human being to be born in the spiritual. Because it links the two here. Otherwise, it wouldn't be fair. 
I was born in the natural, but God never gave me an opportunity at the spiritual. God's not like that. We all have the opportunity. We may not take it, but we all have the opportunity. So then he says, uh, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. There are two separate things going on here. You may be born of the natural, and you may live your life in the natural as a living being for all of your days. But unless you're born of the spirit, you've missed the greatest gift, the gift of eternal life with God in heaven. That which is born of flesh. Do you not marvel? Do you not marvel, he says, that I say this, that you must be born again? The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? He didn't get it. Do you know what? There are people you can share the gospel with and they just don't get it. What I would say is keep praying that the the blindfold, that the blockage, whatever it would be, would be removed from the life. And Jesus said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. Who's the plural speaking here? You know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is speaking here. You know, most assuredly, I say to you, we speak. Jesus is the one who's verbalizing it, but God, through his Spirit, is speaking and God is revealing. We know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? It's just an incredible passage. But I love Nicodemus' heart. He knew he shouldn't be approaching Jesus, but he did. He knew what could have happened to his standing as a Pharisee of the teachers, but he did. He pursued knowledge that was beyond him. For you and, for you and I in this room this morning, are, you, are we born again are we transformed from the inside do we know who it is and what it is that we have as treasure in this earthen vessel this is an earthen vessel just as Adam was a lump of clay on the floor and God molded him and breathed the breath of life into him we are from ashes to ashes dust to dust from the earth we came to the earth we will go again But the spirit, the inner man, the one who will live forever, will endure forever and continue to live. Do we know the treasure? Do we know Christ in you, the hope of glory? Do you know that you're in Christ Jesus? I know this is a subject that maybe most of you sat here will be thinking, yeah, I absolutely know it. But do we outwork it? In our life, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do we draw on the strength of Christ in our life when we're going through the trials and the tribulations of life? Do we draw on those things? Do we, do we say, Spirit of the living God, Spirit of Christ, strengthen me? Because I believe that many of us as believers, we go through life 
and we don't know what manner of man we really are. We go through life and yet we don't see the treasure that really is within us. And I believe today and over the last, next, last week, this week and maybe next week to come, we're going to identify a few things. Hebrews chapter 2, going to read this quickly um, because I don't, I don't want to overrun too long. Hebrews 2 verse 3 says this, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Do we know what we have? When it comes to salvation, I'm going to finish the scripture, uh, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed by us, by those who heard him. You know, the disciples, they began to speak. Jesus spoke and the apostles continued to speak about this incredible salvation. Do we neglect this great salvation? Is it our all in all? Is it at the center of who we are? Is it, does Jesus mean everything to us? Does he, does he fulfill or does he, does he fill our time? Does he, is he involved in our hobbies? Is he involved in our thinking, our processes? Is he involved in, in, in our finances? Is he, is he involved in our important decisions moving forward? Is he at the center? Or do we put him at the peripheral of our life and say, well... I like my, my fix of God on a Sunday, or I like my fix of God when I read his word, or I like my fix of God when I do a, a worship time. Because it, Jesus has to be. He has to be the center of it all. I, I love the song that we used to sing, Jesus at the center of it all. <clears throat> okay. Jesus at the center of it all. That's my operatic. <laughs> you didn't know I had such a good voice. It's when I sing, I... I, I, I <laughs> Lord, that was of you. That was my heavenly tones coming through. Anyway, don't get me carried away. I'm going to blush. Do we neglect so great a salvation? Our life in Christ is so amazing. See, the disciples understood that. That's why they were prepared to lay their life down, literally lay their life down. That's why Peter turned around and said, don't crucify him. Don't crucify me like Jesus. I'm not worthy to be crucified like that. So they crucified him upside down. Why? Because he knew the great salvation that he had. Was it James who had his head chopped off? Um, it was Tom, Thomas, I think, had, a, had a, a spike sent through his rear and through his mouth. It's grim. But why did they believe what they believed? Why did they continue to go through what they went through, knowing that their life was going to be taken from them? Because they knew it was true. And he was at the very center. I'll tell you what, all the, all the, time, that, all the time that Jesus is over there... Maybe he doesn't mean as much. Maybe I'm not going to give as much. Maybe I'm not going to give my life away so much. Because Jesus is over there. But when you know by revelation that he's here, he said, I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. I will be with you until the ends of the earth. When you know that he's here, that you can't just pick him up and put him down and say, well, that's my bit of Sunday or that's my bit of reading but you know that he walks with me and he talks with me throughout. 
And he walks with me and he talks with me. I can't remember how the song goes, but there we go. But he does. He's, he's, we put God in a box. How dare we put God in a box? He said, you are now the temple of the living God. You are now the temple. Because I put my spirit in you. The New Testament are full of passages about our in Christ reality and Christ being in us. And I do apologize. I printed out a whole, whole stack of them this, um, in the week for you to take away. And I've left them at home. So I will preach Christ next week so that you can have them next week. But Paul, Paul, the journey of Paul, the journey of Saul. Saul was a Christian hater, a Christian killer. He wanted to dismantle the church. There are still people today who are trying to dismantle the church. Uh, and, and we've got to stand up against the church dismantlers and those who are, who are pulling down the church that Jesus said he would build. The church is the beauty, the bride of Christ, the gathering of the body together. But you know what Paul, Saul, sorry, Saul was out there to destroy the church, to destroy the way of believers, the gathering where they come together. And he was out to kill Christians. But you know what? God got a hold of his life on the, on the road to Damascus. He was a Christian killer. And yet God still loved him. Oh, I've heard people say, I've done so many bad things in my life. God will never love me. Well, if he loved the Apostle Paul, he loves you. But I've failed him so many times. Oh, how, many of us, how many of us know the extent of his mercy? How many, of know us, how, how many of us know the grace that surpasses all understanding? Paul, after his conversion, do you know what he went preaching? He went preaching Christ. He went preaching Christ crucified. Oh, he'd only, he'd only encountered Jesus on a road to Damascus. He, he'd got letters from the authorities to go to Damascus to arrest the Christians, to bring them back, to imprison them or kill them. He's on his mission to do just that. Bang! Gets knocked off a horse. He's blinded. He sees this bright light. He hears these words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When, when you speak negatively about a brother or sister in Christ, when you pull down the church or say negative things about God's people, what are you doing? You're speaking about Jesus because Jesus is in me. When you speak badly about me, not that any of you would, you're speaking badly of the Jesus I serve. When you speak badly of someone next to you, you're speaking badly of the one who's in them. Christ in you. And Saul was speaking negative things to pull down the church. But God encountered him. Or he encountered God. And he gets knocked down. He gets knocked down. He's led blind into the city, into Joppa or wherever it was. He walks in being led by the team that were with him. God is moving on the heart of a man called Ananias. Wakes him up in the middle of his night and says, hey, I want you to go and pray for Saul. <laughs> Forget that. It's like, no. would I? Would I would. And he said, look, I've told him what things he will do for me. Now go and pray for him. And he goes in and he, 
stands before him and he says, Saul, God has called me to pray for you. And he lays hands on him and the scales that were on his eyes fell from his eyes and he saw. Then immediately, this is what the scripture says, in Acts 9 verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ the son, uh, sorry, he preached the Christ in the synagogue that he is the Son of God. Immediately, there was a life transformational moment. It wasn't, I'm going to adjust my life a little bit to become more like Christ. No, there was something that changed. We're a tripartite being, we are a spirit, soul, and body. We are spirit first. You, you may feed your body. And think that your body is the first thing that needs to be... You may be in the mirror making yourself look beautiful, making whatever it is. You may think your body is the most important part of who you are. It is the least important part of who you are. If you're pampering your body, you're looking after the wrong part first. If you think your intellect, your soul, your mind, will and emotions, your character, your who you are on the inside is the most important part of who you are, you are solely wrong. Your soul needs information, it needs growing, it needs to be brought into line, it needs to be disciplined. But the most important part is the part that's been transformed by the power of God, which is your spirit. We connect with God through our spirit. Our soul may be involved, our body may be involved in jumping and clapping and praising God and all the rest of it. Our body may get involved, but it's deep under deep. It's spirit under spirit. God is looking for those who will worship me in spirit and in truth. Not out of your soul. See, soulish worship is, I don't like that song. I don't care whether you like it or not. If we're singing it, we're singing it. Bring your spirit to the forefront. Stop being soulish. Soulish, yes. Sometimes, sometimes we need to bring our bodies to church. And we need to lift our hands. The Bible says, lift your hands without wrath or doubting to the one who is and is to come. We need to bring our bodies to church and say, well, I ache and creak a bit, but I'm going to give him my best. But make the, the, the trees of the field will. It's in the Bible. You, I'm gonna, I am now. I am going to go. I'm going to finish this series and then I'm going to go into praise and worship because we need a revelation in these days of praise and worship to our God. Anyway, that's another plug for tonight. Immediately, Acts 9.20, immediately he preached Christ, in the, uh, preached Christ in the synagogue that he is the Son of God. Why? Because he had just encountered him. It changed his life in an instant. Acts 9.22, But Saul increased all the more in strength, and he confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus. He hadn't even left Damascus, but he's now confounding the Jews who dwelt there, proving, not suggested, proving that this Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one. Something incredible was coming out of Paul's mouth. The revelation that he received. I don't know about you, but I want that revelation more and more. That every scripture that I open, 
that I know that God is watching over his word to perform it in my life. That the, the, this flesh may fail me. This flesh may die. But nothing can stop the spirit of life in me for the rest of my days. So Paul went preaching Christ, Christ crucified, risen, and living again. He preached the third person of the Trinity, now abiding in us. The third person of the Trinity. God said, remember, Jesus is the word, Genesis chapter 1. God, Elohim, Three, three parts, Elohim, plural over God. God said, which is Jesus speaking. He became the word, became flesh. So God, Elohim, spoke. And the spirit of God went into action. At the beginning of it all, you see the, tri- the triune God, the trinity of God at work. The beauty of it is, that when Jesus in, Acts, uh, in, in John uh, 14, 15, and 16, he's given his last words to the disciples. He said, look, look, guys, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. But it's better that I go. Because if I go, I'm going to send the Spirit of God to come and live in you. And over and over, he begins to remind them and tell them, the Spirit of God is going to come into you. John chapter 15, if I abide in you in my words, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask what you will and it shall be done for you. The Spirit of God has become resident in our life. What does that mean to you? If, if the Holy Spirit now lives in here. What does that mean? There is no mountain too high. There is no valley too low. There is no giant too big. There is no issue that is too impossible because God now lives in you. Isn't that amazing? There is, see, when you go and someone says, husband or wife, I'm feeling so ill. Do you know what? The Spirit of God now lives in you. It's the Holy Spirit that heals the person. Don't ever, don't anybody ever think when you come to the front for prayer that I'm going to do something special over your life. I'm going to pray probably a prayer that's worse than the prayer that you can pray, but I believe that God can move through me. That is the only difference between you praying for someone, me praying for someone, or you praying for someone in the street. We should believe that God will move through me, through you, through that situation, wherever you are, whatever you may be faced with. If I died in the room right now, please don't cry and and think, oh, he was such a nice guy. Please pray for me. All right, I do want to come back again, all right? I'm, I'm happy to carry on the work. But if I, if I died right now, don't you know, oh, he was such a nice guy. He did so well as a pastor. No, I'm believing for long life. Will he satisfy me and show me his salvation? We are a church where the power of God should be at work. 
Because we're a church that believes that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is now living on the inside of me. And he will quicken our mortal bodies. He will bring healing where healing is needed. He will bring strength for the journeys that we may be on that are difficult to walk through. That he is our all together. He is our strength in our days ahead. Let's believe for miracles. I love something that I'm listening to at the moment. What God cannot do does not exist. What God cannot do does not exist. What God cannot do does not exist. exist. We serve a God of miracles. Oh, do you know what? If this represented him, which it does, because he became flesh, but he was the word that became flesh. I want him that close. I want him that close. If I could... I want him that close. I want him in the... I I know he's on the inside, but... I want him on the... He's on the inside. you know what I mean? I want him that close. If I could... Oh, I could. I've got a T-shirt underneath. There we go. He's that close. He is that close. He is that close. When you go to work, he's that close. In fact, he has an opportunity to come out from time to time when you, when you share the gospel with someone. When you're sharing a scripture, all of a sudden, oh, I can't get it up because my belt's in the way. You're sharing the gospel with someone, all of a sudden, hey, Jesus comes out because you're sharing the word. That's how real he is or should be in our life. Oh, time. Um, our lives are hidden. Ephesians 3.8. Let me... You can see how hard it is not to, slow to, 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 to stop. I could stop. I could go in that next week. One scripture. <laughs> Paul, again, re- writes this in Ephesians 3.8. To me who am less than the least of all the saints. Okay, let's stop there. You may be here this morning and you're thinking, I am the least of all the saints. I'm, I'm rubbish. I, I, I don't really read my Bible. I don't really pray. I don't really think of other people very nicely. I, I'm, I'm, I'm rubbish. I'm, I'm. Paul beats you. He says, to me, who am least of all the saints... This grace was given. Thank God for his grace. Where would we be without his grace? Where? Where would we be? This grace was given to me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. If something is unsearchable, you may think you've got a good handle on it. It's like the onion skin, and you, you peel back the onion skin, you think, ah, oh, I've got to the onion. Oh, hang on, there's an onion skin. You get near, near. That's what it is. It is the unsearchable riches of Christ. If you think you know him, let me tell you, you don't. You know of him. You know him in part. But none of us, none of us know him as he is. There will come a day 
when we see him face to face and we will know him. Right now we are discovering more and more and more of the wonder and the beauty of who he is. Let me read this again. To me who am less the least who am less than the least of all the saints. This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That means that the Christ who lives in you is unsearchable. We know he's there. We know he lives within us. But we haven't fathomed the depths. Oh, if I ask this question around the room, who would like to know him more? It's got to be, it's got to be a resound. Come on, let's just, just, as a statement of faith, who would like to know the treasures of Christ more? <laughs> any, any two other hands? Oh, oh, to know him. That's what Paul said in that. See, he, he had a revelation. Oh, that I would know him. That I would know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul knew something that I believe as we as Christians continue in, we will tap into something that is so, so powerful and so life-transforming. But you may be here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that, that moment, remember right at the beginning when I said that Jesus, he died for us. Adam couldn't do it. Adam was a living being. That's all he could give us as an opportunity. We became a living being when nine months were up and we were given birth to. Flesh unto flesh. But Jesus came. Why? For the saving of our spirit. The saving of our innermost being. The inner man. The real you. You know, if I came over to Kerwin right now and just gave him a slap on the chops, he would look at me and think, why did you do that? Why? Because I've, I've, I've offended him, the soul. I've physically hit him, which may have hurt. But knowing Kerwin, his spirit would forgive me because he... I, I, <laughs> I think his spirit would forgive me because the spirit, the soul, and the body are three different things. Your parents did a great job in creating your physical and you've perhaps done a good job in enhancing your soul by learning. But there is something that you can't do, and that's save your spirit. Only Jesus can do that. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus in your life this morning, which will bring the spirit of who you are alive. So we're going to pray a very simple prayer. If you Never, if you've never prayed this prayer today, this is your moment. And what I'm going to ask is that you pray it. You pray it sincerely. If you pray it sincerely and you want to respond to God, then just pop up your hand when I, uh, at, at the end. If you've prayed it but you're not certain about your journey right now, come and have a chat with me. Or if don't, oh, last thing I want is anybody in the room to feel pressurized. But this is about you encountering God. So let's pray nice and loud. Let's help anybody that may be praying this for the very first time. Jesus, I come to you this morning. And I thank you, Jesus, 
that you have positioned me in this room today to hear this message. Jesus, you died, you were buried, and you rose again for me. Today, take my sin, make me new, receive me as your child, that I may be born again. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. While every head is bowed and every eye closed. You may have prayed that prayer several times, but you know today you've prayed it and you really meant it. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you if you count, if you prayed that and you meant it, a faith response is needed. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. So I'm going to count to three. If you prayed it, pop up your hand. One, two, three. If you prayed that prayer, pop your hand out. I see that hand at the back. See that hand over there. And I see that hand at the back over there. Is there anybody else? There's three people, three adults in the room that are responding this morning. Is there anybody else in this room this morning? You say, yes, count me in. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you said there is more rejoicing in heaven over one soul that responds to you. And I thank you, Lord, this morning that there are those that are responding and connecting with you. Father, I pray that you would open their heart, open their eyes, that they may see the wonders of who you are. And Father, I pray for us in this room, each one of us. Father, may we know you. May we be forever conscious that we would be God conscious. That you have never left us, that you have never forsaken us, that you are always with us. Lord, may we have a revelation of the Christ who is in us and the Christ that we are positioned with. In Jesus' name, amen.